I think hope is huge. It's pure science. Let me play my part. Check to hate. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. You helpless little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. I don't know, at least for me, like, I know I get anxious, I know I get frustrated, I know I get scared, upset, whatever, but it doesn't last for days and hours and months. Like, it actually ebbs and flows. Comes in waves. Mm -hmm. How do you teach yourself, like with depression, for example, how do you teach yourself um, when you're in your lowest point, remember, it doesn't stay down here, and you didn't do anything to deserve this, the depression isn't your fault, you know, it's not that you didn't go running fast enough or you mm -hmm. didn't this or that. It's going to come and go. Um, and you can try to round off the peaks and valleys, but it's not your fault and it'll pass. Like, those are hard lessons. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. find that they come naturally to me at all. I'm always fighting that battle. <laughs> I think hope is huge, you know, and maybe having somebody that you can um, reach out to, um, feel like they're in your court. Um, I know for me, like, there was somebody that really just held the hope for me when I felt like I was, I lost it. And I just really had to believe that they saw me on the other side. And even when I was, like, at my worst and my lowest and just so malnourished, um, I was like, this person believes in me. And they can see me in a different way than I can see myself. And... You know, there are people that recover. That's the good thing. There are people. It's The numbers aren't great, but there are people, and it can be done. Mm -hmm. And so fam we try to remind family members, like, if you don't have hope for your child, they're not going to have hope either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. You talked about family a little bit mm -hmm. earlier, and I, I remember with um, what little I've you know seen with people getting eating disorder treatment, um, Mm -hmm. It's like you can't just treat the individual because they have this surrounding framework and scaffolding almost of that family right. unit. How do you get treatment and help for the whole family so they're not constantly saying, oh, well, you know, you look like you've gained a few or, yeah. or just doing things that are so unhelpful? Like, yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Definitely. Um, it's funny because we were talking the other day about how we can try to get into like doulas um, and like do classes on like nutrition education to new parents like what's your relationship with food right now um that would be very pop honestly yeah. that would be popular right like you be that would you'd have a full house for yeah that. so i mean know what to say to their kids and they're like oh, right if you're good i'll give you an ice cream if you're good we'll stop right here for mcdonald's it's like wait 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 what are you teaching right i know i mean even as we've talked about like in schools like a treat is like an ice cream party or a pizza party and um i think like we just thought like, oh, if we get into like doulas and classes and education, we can, te we can 
ask these parents, like, what is your eating habits now? How are you labeling food? How do you view food? How do you view your body? How do you talk about your body? Like, and then talking about it as a whole, like your child is listening to you from day one. And like, if this is what they're listening to, the chances of them developing an eating disorder are going to be a lot higher. And so, um, and then, I mean, with adolescents that, you know, come in here, you know, you talk to, you talk a lot with them about like, you know, if this is how you're viewing food and this is how you're acting around food, your child's not going to have a normal relationship. So if you don't change your relationship with food, neither is your child. And so, um, I mean, I think you do a really good job of working with parents, with adolescents and, you know, trying to get them to understand like, you know, their behaviors, their child can see and, you know, keeping them full of hope will keep their child full of hope. Like, you know, really building up that like strong, um, you know, support system for their child, I think can be huge. Sure. Any thoughts on supporting not just the individual, but, but the whole family around the individual and kind of trying to surround them with support so that when they get back into the normal life, the normal relationships, they don't fall back into the old habits and have the bad influences. Um, I think education for the family is so important, whether it's for the spouse, their partner, um, children. I mean, we even have kids reaching out about their parents. Oh, sure. You know, we just don't know what to do anymore. I think just education that the foundation of recovery is eating. Mm -hmm. You, you have to eat to stay in recovery and, you know, you cannot be like everybody else that goes eight hours without eating. Unfortunately, that triggers the eating disorder brain. And, you know, people are like, but my mom can do that. My sister does that. My husband does that. He only he doesn't eat only one meal a day. And I'm like, good for him. You know, good for him that he can do that. But unfortunately, you're not in that category. And for you to have a full life, you have to eat regularly and feed your body and not get back into that eating disorder mindset. And anytime you restrict, it triggers that, whether it's a food, whether it's an amount of time that you eat or whatever it is. Um, so I think at least for my, you know, being in communication with family is that is the foundation. You have to take time out of the day to help feed your child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going on a road trip, you have to stop and take a snack. And they're like, no, but you know, they can go six hours, right? And I'm like, no. Six hours is kind of weird. Like <laughs> during the day, if you're not sleeping over at night, six hours is a like a long time. I mean, period. for me, I, I mean, I really don't go more than three hours without yeah. eating. Yeah. But I mean... My mom praises herself all the time, like, you know, oh my God, it's three in the afternoon. I haven't eaten yet, you know? And Well, that's what they do to sumo wrestlers because it wrecks your metabolism. Like, you're supposed to have breakfast. Right. That's the first thing they do to sumo wrestlers is they say, you're not eating breakfast anymore. So yeah. let her know. <laughs> no, I'm like, she, just kidding. She, yeah, she, <laughs> she has her own way. She's, she's on her own agenda. And <laughs> like I said, whatever everybody else is doing out there, it's okay. When you want to have a life for yourself, you have to start making changes that are good for you, not everybody else. Sure. And um, taking the time out to to nourish your body is... Mm-hmm. I mean, we get so many people that they're in a profession that their their work doesn't give them a half an hour break for lunch. What kind of profession? A therapist. Wow. Autism specialists. Mm-hmm. Paraprofessionals. Paraprofessionals. Teachers. Teachers are huge. I know, like, they I... work over lunch? I, yeah. I mean, I had a... I, my last roommate I lived with, she was like, yeah, I didn't get a lunch today. And comes home at 4 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, my God. And so she was like, yeah, sometimes, like, 
you know, if a kid is acting up, I have to deal with them during lunch. And so I don't oh, get to Oh, that's eat. the discipline time period. Yeah. Or Think about all the medical professionals. Nurses? Yeah. Uh, the first thing I thought of was nurses. Like, how do they get a do break? Do they ever? I mean, I remember working in the hospital, which was only a short time. Thank God. But, I mean, I didn't even go to the bathroom in eight hours. And when I was working in the assisted living, it was nonstop. And the only way I ate was, like, having, like, things on the go, like granola bars and, and nuts and that kind of stuff. Because it was just so busy and people need you all day. It seems like the ultimate profession where they just get hire the fewest people they think they can get away with and then grind you into dust. Think about that's my that's my thought on nursing. What about <laughs> doctors and surgeons? Yeah. Oh yeah. How long are they in surgery without eating? Yeah. Sometimes eight hours. Oh yeah, if it's a huge procedure. But mm-hmm. what are we te- like? What are we teaching each other? Uh-huh. Yeah. Especially surgeons, they're like performing on another human being, yet. They're not nourishing themselves to perform a surgery. Probably don't want to leave the sterile field. And, and yeah. well, if you undo all that, you have to right. do it up again. And that'll take another 15 minutes and we're on the clock. And we don't want to charge more than the hospital across town because R- then people won't get right. their faces replaced at, you know, ABC Hospital. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Nicholas Cage shows up. He needs a new face. <laughs> it's, all our cultural it, references are from 30 years ago. We have to get used to it. <laughs> I don't know. We just... It's like a long line of... It's a long line of problems. Yeah. But it, it is overwhelming, and we're just trying to focus on the people that reach out and mm-hmm. our presentations yeah. and our trainings and... Getting out to the community. Getting to the community. What kind of resources do you guys have? Do you have links on your website or, or if people who maybe haven't dove into Living Proof and they come here, but they're hearing this and they're interested, where can they take that first step towards self-education? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we have quite a few ways. Of course, we've got social media. So there's Instagram and Facebook that we have. Remind us of all your links and tags and everything. Yeah, so Facebook is just facebook.com slash livingproofmn. And then Instagram is just livingproofmn. Um, So pretty simple. Um, So we've had a few people reach out over over there. Um, And then we have... Um, our website, of course, as well, has all of our resources. It has our group calendar, um, you know, has information about the living program, about mentoring. Um, and then there's also a button on the website to schedule a consult with Shira. So, um, you know, there are quite a, a few different ways that you can, you know, learn more about us and get a hold of us. And then, you know, of course, we have our contact information on the website as well. Awesome. Want to make sure we got that in before we before we end. But uh, can we take a little bit of a darker turn now down the trauma trauma space? Yeah. I'm curious. Um, uh, like eating disorders can manifest themselves with body image, but there can also be just this piece of, um, you know, when I when I slow down, when I don't eat as much, my emotions dull. And Kel called it the dead zone. Yeah. Um, so I, I do a lot of of this kind of thinking and, and educating based on what I know she went through. Cause I feel like that's where I have the right to speak. I saw it firsthand and, and she was fighting for her life. So, um, that's kind of what I know. She didn't have, uh, like body image issues as far as she was, you know, really vocal about, but she just didn't want to eat ever. And she would teach people at, at eating disorder clinics when one time there was these parents, they were in group and the, it was like friends, family day. That's why I was there. And the parents were there. And there's this teenage girl, and she's like, we can't get her daughter to eat. We tell her all the time she looks fine, and, and she doesn't care. She won't eat. And Kel was like, it might not be about that. you got to understand how dead you go inside when you stop eating. And, yeah, it might literally kill you, but it gives you a break from the emotion. So can we talk a little bit about whether it's you know DBT or whatever you want to bring up, the tools of getting through some of those 
really difficult emotional periods and how every eating disorder isn't always about looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, we use uh, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, mood regulation, also RODBT um, is is newer out mm-hmm. there. What's that one? Um, radically yeah. Openness yeah. DBT. DBT. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really for people that have over-control issues. Mm-hmm. So learning to um, really let go of the rigidity, which is a lot of what an eating disorder is. Um, That's why they give you a meal plan in black and white with down to the minute. Yep. <laughs> Eat 17 <laughs> peanuts before you die. <laughs> Not that you're a control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so some of the ways, at least that we've kind of talked uh, with people, is... You know, meditations, deep breathing, mm-hmm. um, you know, changing temperature, mm-hmm. taking a shower, mm-hmm. um, holding on to ice. Yeah. Um, like those bodily sensations. So um, it's a sensory thing. Can you sensory. talk about the, the kind of physiology of why that, why, why is any of that helpful? I mean, it really gets you out of that numb zone, right? And it kind of is sort of a shock to the body. And instead of um, continuing to numb yourself and also be in pain at the same time, be kind of like jolting you out and being like, okay, I I can deal with this. Like, I'm a human being. I have feelings. I can get through them. Um, And then not just staying in that, like you said, that dead zone and just living in it. But being able to expose yourself a little bit to emotions at a time, sitting with it, and then maybe taking a break. Right, so I think it's just way too much to expect somebody to just be like, okay, you've been numbing yourself for the last, you know, three months. Okay, now we're gonna get no coping mechanisms, no nothing. You're just cold gonna, turkey. Yeah, I mean that's that's really challenging. Yeah, um, and we do a lot of journaling, mm-hmm, a lot writing. of self reflection, writing, art. No. you know, just stuff with your hands to get your, you know, that other side of your mm-hmm. brain moving. Um, yeah, I get the creativity out and I mean, cause some people might not like to write, but they love to do art or, you know, introducing different kind of creative levels that people can use to express how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. For sure. Anyone picked up your guitar yet? A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. we yeah. did actually. We had, we had someone here who was a musician and yes. she sat down in a room and we could hear her yeah. playing the guitar, which was really cool. Yeah. I tried learning and lasted about three days. Uh, it really hurt my fingers. <laughs> Let me see your fingertips. Um, I mean, it was like a year ago. So way in the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we've been noticing lately, and I just want to bring this up, is um, people with sexual trauma, we have had a lot of people come that are trying to figure out their sexuality after sexual trauma. And um, I don't know if you want to say stuff about it, but just not knowing where they fit into the world because they're so ashamed of their body. They don't want to, you know, be a target again, Um, you know, feeling scared about um, being with an opposite sex if that was their trauma. Um, And so then being sort of um, attracted to a different sex. and then we have some people that really identify as asexual that have never really talked about it and not even really knowing that is a thing out there and thinking like I'm defective, you know, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just have so many people that are trying to figure out who they are without their eating disorder. And it's very different than what they ever thought that they would be when they start addressing mm-hmm. all of these things and start talking about them. 
because they've just been holding it in for so long and just thinking, well, like there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything. Yeah. I mean, I think like the eating disorder really serves as, at least in my experience, as a way to, uh, as an excuse to like, oh, this is why I'm not dating or this is why like, it, yeah, it just like, it was like, I'm not dating because I have an eating disorder or like, I'm not dating because I had this experience happen to me. And like, like, so I'm not going to start dating until I am better or until I'm in recovery. And I think that really stopped me from achieving recovery for so long because I didn't really want to invest. I was scared to see what was beyond and past that. And so, I mean, I think you know, I think I'm probably not the only one who has felt that way. Is like, you know, I use the eating disorders as a way to cover this up because I don't know if I'm ready to face that yet. And I mean, I feel like it's still something I'm working through, but I mean, it's opened up. There are so many things about that whole world that I was so unaware of that I started to learn more as I started going into recovery. And I think like it's, it's definitely changed the whole view on how I think about like sexuality and like, it, it it made me realize like there's not something wrong with me like especially in the beginning when I started to real like make connections is like I mean I, I felt like something was wrong with me my entire life because I wasn't doing the whole cookie cutter go to college get have a career get married have kids like but I think um you know I think throughout the farther that I've gotten in the recovery process giving me more time to understand like where am I fitting into all of this um yeah. That's interesting. Well, for all the young people out there in, in college or anything like that, it's a lot more important to pick the right person than to pick them fast. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. A lot more important. Uh, but so that was so many different topics. So on the sexuality piece, it's interesting because, you know, your relationship with food can play out on your body. And what's going on with your body can be something that you feel is going to attract whoever you're interested in. So it just adds this level of stress and complexity to your personal relationship with food Mm -hmm. of what's my relationship with this person if I eat this Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of help people through that stress? You know, building self-esteem and self-worth beyond just what your body looks like, Mm -hmm. but also trying to build that sense of security and self-awareness in your body um, and yourself. You know, we get so many people that are just so afraid to enter the real world again Mm -hmm. because they've been hiding for so long and just scared of being hurt again or whatever it is. And I mean, I get it. You know, it is really scary. But at the same time, like, you're not all, you're not living. You know, this is, we get all, we all get one shot, my belief. (laughs) Um, And I mean, I want people to live the best that they can. And by hiding behind an eating disorder and, you know, this persona, you're not experiencing the world and you're not giving your gifts to other people. And you can never, like, assure somebody that nothing bad is going to happen because, you know, it's just not, it's inevitable. But how do you build that self-awareness and that self-esteem and that self-courage that I can take on the world and I'm going to be okay and get through whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when you yeah. have such a traumatic event and you just don't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It makes the world, like, a lot more of a scary... It, it makes you see the world, like, like that it's a lot more of a scarier place than it actually is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think also I've been trying to, like, dealing with the depression of, of being isolated for the last year and, and trying to, like... For me personally, like, I'll open up a little bit because I'm usually always talking about other people. But, like, I really dove into this, ooh, 
stay away, isolate, stay away from everybody because I'm saving lives, right? And then that part of my brain that doesn't want to go out and be seen, that doesn't want to go out and say it's, it's a beautiful world even though my wife is gone. And just that, like, they talk about light wolf and dark wolf and that there's these things battling inside your mind. I, I, let, I let the dark wolf take over. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, just battling to get back. And it's it's a fight. It's every single day, all day long, mm-hmm. go out and do something positive. And it's, it's really tricky. So um, I really have this idea in my head that... And this is a, a paradox that I'm interested in because I was watching some psychology podcast clips last night that um, that selfishness is generosity because if you take care of yourself, you can go out and contribute something the world needs. I love that. So mm-hmm. I'm like, if I go for a bike ride, eat something that I know is, is going to be good for me, connect with some people, have some social connection, do all these things that feel selfish and take care of myself, think about how productive I can be and what I can contribute to the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a year and five years and 10 years in my lifetime. And that's what I'm trying to go in my headspace right now is selfish is selfless. Is that something that is clicking with you guys at all? And we, how can we teach that? We oh, actually yeah. talk about that a lot. Yes. Really? We're like, take three months off your work. Like take three months out of like even being a mom, like let somebody else take care of your kids. Oh, motherhood. Give Definitely. me a break. That would be so, so hard, hard to talk to. <laughs> but I'm like, it, we have such a bad rap connotation around selfishness. And it's it's in this like weird context, right? But being selfish in a positive way, like for yourself, to be better for the world, to be better for your family, to be better for whatever, it's it, it's a it's a good selfish, like you said. Like it allows you to be better person whole whatever it is uh-huh. um it, we, it actually yeah. does come up quite a bit it does i mean i think we, we say it's you can't be your best self when you are running on fumes or and you're so, afraid like, to say no yeah oh gosh. right yeah. people pleasers people oh for sure and i mean if you're constantly going 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 saying yes 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 you're digging yourself into a ground and you're not be able to perform your job at your best mm-hmm. self or you're not able to um you know show give, up in relationships show up in relationships like you're jeopardizing a lot more places in your life than if you were to just take a few months out like try you say this all the time like three four months is minuscule in your life of 100 years like three four months that's is crazy. Yeah. is like and people make it seem like, like it's the worst it's the thing. end of the world that's how i feel now because i in february i had a new house that i'm trying to transform into a creative space where people can do memorial art and honor their Ooh, their departed that's awesome and so i was asking tracy like what's up what's up with your workshop like what do you got and we were talking about a little bit of diy stuff because yeah. i'm trying to get into that plus i had a like little baby puppy which was way more time than i knew it would be plus was transitioning career wise and stopped uploading podcasts in february and took a break and i still hate myself like every day i'm like you suck you don't even deserve her like what you know she and i'm like Teresa, you're gonna do this foundation for as long as you're breathing you gave yourself four months mm-hmm. when you were losing your mind mm-hmm. take That's, it down a notch okay. but I'm, it's a hard fight uh-huh. it is it's such a hard fight and it's so necessary to take care of yourself and not see it as this bad thing right uh-huh. um and I, we talk a lot about um, prioritizing recovery. Mm-hmm. And you do have to prioritize it because it is so easy to slip back, especially when it's very new still. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean for you? And it's right. different for everybody. But, um, you know, setting boundaries, um, asking for help, um, surrounding yourself with people that are positive and that are being a good role model, um, you know, doing things that you enjoy, not staying in a career that you hate. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things 
are part of the recovery process and really, you know, asking yourself, what is it that I want out of my life? And, and as you get better, I think you get to know yourself so much better and so much more. And you, the depth of that mm-hmm. ability to know yourself is just grows and grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people are really intimidated by the fact that in order to prioritize recovery, you have to revamp your life. You mm-hmm. have to change parts of your life. And I think that people are in denial about that. Um, and seeing like, you know, maybe your job is not the best job for you, but and that's hard for people to see, or like maybe this relationship is more abusive than you think it is. And that's hard. And I think that's what's really intimidating for people is like, in order to, you know, have a sustainable recovery, you, it's, you have to make changes. Like you, like you said earlier, you cannot recover in the life that you were living when you got sick. It's, um, that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's huge. It's like, uh, like if you're allergic to something, you're allergic to bees and you're in an Olympic swimming pool full of bees. You're like, all right, I'm going to get over this. You know, (laughs) I'm going to heal from this, but I'm not going to leave the pool. Well, you're not going to heal. It's not going to work. You got to get away from that Mm -hmm. stimulus. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we be honest about how hard it is to say no to someone you love? Because you feel like if I say no to them, does that mean I love mm-hmm. them less? Mm-hmm. And you get all this negative self-talk. Can you talk a little bit about family balance and family dynamics and looking after yourself when maybe you are, you know, not to be sexist, but you're a mother and you're a caregiver and you've got all these people leaning on you plus your career and you just feel like, if I say no, I'm a failure? Mm-hmm. I try to re- like remind people and we try to teach people that everybody is in charge of their own emotion, their own boundary, right? So if you set a boundary, hope- hopefully somebody else has set their own. So you don't have to take care of other people, right? It's different as your mom because you have to take care of your kids. But let's say, you know, you have a group of friends that are like, oh my God, you know, we need you to come out tonight and it's like 11 o'clock and you know that you're already tired. You don't want to say no because you don't want to hurt their feelings, well, healthy people know how to handle their emotion and be able to get through things. So by you, you know, coddling them, they're not they're not responsible for their own emotions and you have to be responsible. So we want to remind other people need to be responsible for theirs. And I think that's a really hard thing. Um, you know, saying no does not mean you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Or that you love them less. Or you love mm-hmm. them less. In fact, it might show that you love them more because you're able to Put, you're going to be able to put more effort into your relationship. And if you are, you say yes to something that you don't have the capacity to do, it could cause more tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. I'm still I'm going to hold on to that mantra, selfish is selfless. I love mm-hmm. that. Selfishness yeah. is generosity with delayed gratification. It's yeah. long term, mm-hmm. yep. you know. Yep. Like I'd rather get really, really good at my job. I'm, I'm selling technology. It's, it's, it's a great career. I'm, I'm very happy in it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the bright spot since she's been gone, like something that's gone well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I'm doing that and not thinking about the foundation, I keep having this creepy like, ooh, like you really haven't been a good family member for her for a while. You're not thinking about her legacy. And I just keep having to remind myself, I can do a lot more with six figures of disposable income in the bank in five years than mm-hmm. I can, you know, crying about won't someone listen to my podcast <laughs> like you know sure. i can do i can do so much so it's that delayed gratification piece that um it's part of recovery right like you right. you have to go and eat from day one mm-hmm. but you don't feel better from day one so how do like, you deal with that delayed gratification to teach yeah. yourself like it says on your arm i like your tattoo it's like <laughs> well you can read do it not, do not lose hope <laughs> yeah but that that payoff isn't instant so mm-hmm. how do you deal with that delayed gratification tell yourself taking care of me right now is the right thing and then if you're an abuse victim, 
and you say you're abused as oftentimes with someone else you love, with a family member, um, and maybe they're not on the right track in life. How do you tell yourself with that guilt, I need to get better even though they're not getting better yet? Because I think a lot of people are like, well, why should I get better when this other person who d- dealt with the same thing is going down the wrong track? Why should I be healthier than someone I love? Mm-hmm. I unloaded a lot on you there, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in that case, like that's where the comparison ca- comparison trap like is so, so dangerous and... I mean, that's where you have to really just separate yourself from that other person, whether it's a friend, a family member, a parent, you know, um, I think being able to put yourself first and being like, I know what I need to do for myself. And if they're deciding to stay sick or stay in their disorder or stay down, like that's a decision that they're making and I can't change that. However, I can change the decisions that I'm making and I know that this is a life that I'm not I don't like living right now, so I could make a change to get better. And, you know, I think that's very hard for people to to accept, especially, um, you know, I think, especially in the world of eating disorders, when people are like, oh, but I want her body, or I want this and this and this. It's like you, t- you have to really start to work on separating yourself from all of those aspects in your life of like, you know what, these people are going to make these choices. They can do that. I'm not in charge of them, but I am in charge of me. Um, And I think that was especially a a thing that I constantly kept reminding myself like three, four months in when people started going back to the gym and I was (laughs) seeing it on social media and I'm like, you know what? Like they get to do that. Good for them. But like I know if I made the decision to do that, it wouldn't be good. So like I'm making the decision to be doing what I am right now and to recover and to eat and to like really put all my effort into having a full life and some of those people that I'm seeing right now, I know, I've talked to them before, I know they don't have a full life because they're obsessed with exercise. So, you know, I think putting things into perspective, into reality, I think is, can be really helpful. Yeah, reality can be a difficult thing to find when you're lost in an eating disorder, right? Yeah. Or any mental illness. You are very illness. out of touch with reality. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> One thing on the coronavirus that I wanted to get into that I think I forgot was, I talked about that I wanted to bring up that mental health really took a backseat. I was talking with a doctor not long ago. I was like, hey, I want to ask a question, but I'm kind of scared to ask it in a big group of people. But, you know, this person knows me really well, so I knew she wouldn't judge. I was like, did the coronavirus really kill a bunch of people who would have otherwise lived, or did Mm. it kill the most vulnerable? Like, did the actual Mm. death rate go up? And she said it killed them faster. It killed the most vulnerable. It killed the old, Mm -hmm. um, the extremely sick, the people who were not, you know, Mm -hmm. in great shape to the extreme. Um, and it killed them faster. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, the death rate went up, but a lot of that wasn't coronavirus. A lot of that um, was collateral damage, alcoholism, suicide, depression. And that's where I got pissed off as a mental health advocate saying, I kind of knew from the beginning that when we, as far as I can tell, imposed an artificial Great Depression on ourselves and sent 20, 30 million people into unemployment, mm-hmm. Um, when let's be real about money, the average American can't find 500 bucks if they need it in a pinch, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who are going to go over the edge and they're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. And that, that happened. We have the data. So mm-hmm. as three of us here, strong, extroverted, like <laughs> vocal mental health advocates, how do you guys feel about the last year? Cause I'm a little pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I, mean, I set up a leading question. <laughs> you can have your own opinion. Yeah. I mean, we say over and over, like, coronavirus. I'm like, oh, COVID. If only COVID didn't happen. (laughs) Um, 
I mean, I think my experience, it's kind of been a blessing and a curse because I think that if COVID didn't happen, I don't think I'd be in recovery right now. I think I would still be at the gym and at the same job just because I need money to go to the gym. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not, I'm not that's I'm not kidding. I'm like the only reason why I'm working this job right now is because it's a really good paycheck and I can afford to pull out 500 bucks a month on the gym. What? Yes. Dude, find a hill. <laughs> Hills are free. Gravity is free. Walk up a hill. Oh, I'm out. The things you do, man. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> um I mean, I think the other path of COVID though, I think it really went to show how detrimental it was to everyone's mental health. I mean, I have never heard treatment centers, Melrose, having weeks and weeks out for an assessment. Like, that's never happened. Eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks just for an assessment. So, I mean, somebody could die. EP in that had time. a waiting list. EP at one point before COVID had a hundred person waiting list. I was like, people are dying in line. I know. I know. So I know. then, once they say no one can go touch anyone, no one can go talk to anyone, we all right. go into isolation. All you know, elective uh, medical procedures right. are eliminated. Go right. on hold. Like, where did eating disorders fall as far as is it elective procedure to go get recovery? Right. Because has the medical world accepted that this is lethal? Is I guess my question. You know, when we talk to people and we educate people, they have no, no idea. Clue. Still. No Still. clue. Even after my documentary. <laughs> yeah. Even <laughs> after. That 20 people saw. It's insane <laughs> how many people, like we went to a presentation and somebody didn't even know what a snack was. Absolutely no idea. They're like, "What? wait, what's a snack? I'm like, I hope you don't have kids at home. This is a <laughs> middle-aged businessman, intelligent middle-class yes. person who was blown away by our presentation and did not know what a snack was. Yes. He just thought breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yep. Yeah. He goes, what, people eat snacks? Like you can't have a, a cliff bar at 2 p.m. or something. Right, yeah, right. That's he also weird. was like, so you can't have chips, right? Yeah. So he came in with the whole the naughty list on his mind yes. of, oh, you're going to teach people yeah. what they can't eat, and you're yeah. like, yeah. no, this is trying to keep people alive by not living that way. Yeah. yeah. I still think there's a a big amount of people out there that believe that eating disorders are a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, I mean, eating, obviously, if you're in that amateur mindset, it's like, oh, well, they're choosing to not eat. They're mm -hmm. choosing to work out. They're choosing, like, they don't realize that you don't choose to have an eating disorder. And I think that that's where some of the lack of education comes in and seeing that it is a deadly mental illness. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's that way with mental illness generally? Like if someone breaks a leg, you can see the cast, mm -hmm. you can see the, the break on the x-ray mm -hmm. and everything. There's nothing to show with a mental illness. And not everyone with an eating disorder is overweight or emaciated. Mm -hmm. On mm -hmm. some people, it doesn't show at all. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's maybe mm -hmm. in the moment they feel like, ooh, I'm getting away with this, and it's their, their safe place to hide, but it's killing them. Mm -hmm. And that's when they resort to other things too, right? Like self-harm, you know, cutting. Because they want to be seen? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people that say, you know, um, you know, I cut myself or, um, you know, I'm sort of pulling out my hair. Like, people can actually notice that I'm suffering inside. Mm -hmm. They want it to be seen. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, that attitude of, well, that's just a desperate cry for help. Well, then help them. Then help them. Right. Then help them, you know. Mm -hmm. And not say, oh, they're just being selfish or they're doing this for attention because then... Right. I mean, the fact that people think hurting yourself and having a miserable life is a choice, mm -hmm. it boggles my mind. Mm -hmm. Because living with an eating disorder, an addiction, 
in the face of trauma is absolutely miserable. Yeah, I saw a post once, um, someone I went to D.C. with in like 2016, we were lobbying for the Anna Weston Act. Mm-hmm. Hoorah, we got it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were lobbying to strengthen, it was already in existence, but it needed help. And uh, mm-hmm. um, she, afterwards I followed her on social and everything, and she did a post one day of like, hey, you know, young girls, teenagers, if you think it's, you know, so sexy and glamorous to have an eating disorder try watching your hair fall out and being constipated all day long and, 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 you know, going to the bathroom for two hours. And so like, this is not Mm -hmm. sexy. You don't want this. Mm -hmm. So can we get real about some of the physical symptoms about an eating disorder for anyone listening? Who's like, Oh, these people are getting all this attention and they live in this cool house and they're getting all this help. Like it's Mm -hmm. not cool. We're not saying it's cool. Mm -hmm. No, I, it's, Oh, that just makes me sick. But, um, you know, Feeling fatigued, um, cold. Um, always died, cold. Always yep. cold. Kel was always cold. I was like, what is this? I didn't know it was ED until mm-hmm. after she was gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't know. That was, I felt really uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my whole life. I was like, you're Minnesotan. Why are you bothered? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Constant digestive problems. Constipation, usually. Um, or the opposite. Mm-hmm. Diarrhea. Um, hair falling hair out. Falling hair out. growing on your cheeks. Yep. Um, and on the, like... Scapula, mm-hmm. um, poor that, sleep. Oh yes, poor sleep. Poor sleep. Nail beds are purple. Food and sleep. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, a lot of people with eating disorders, if it's trauma based, they might be insomniacs too. They might have a hard time going to sleep at night. Then they're up even longer. Aren't they using more energy? <laughs> so that if they have the restricting eating disorder, aren't they kind of like exacerbating that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I, I, I love talking about this because it was such a mind-blowing moment for me in my recovery was there's this thing called the um, migration theory, right? Mm-hmm. And um, basically what this says is like when you are not nourished and you're not eating enough for your body, your body's going to go into that hyper um, arousal mode of like, I need to stay awake so I can find food. Like, like hypervigilant. I have yes, to survive. Right. So like I can't sleep until I'm nourished. And so, I mean, people just think that like, oh, um, you know, it goes for exercise too. I used to think I was invincible and I was so much stronger in my eating disorder. I wasn't. It was my, it was the adrenaline from not having food. And um, I was not getting muscle. I was not, you know, becoming the most strongest person in the world or whatever I was thinking. (laughs) But um, it's like this theory goes to show, like, when you don't have nutrition in you, you don't actually, you're not using energy. You're using adrenaline because your body is trying to find food. It's trying to find a way to survive without being nourished. And when I learned about that, I was like, everything made so much sense. And I was like, if only somebody told me that 20 years ago, like, I wouldn't have thought that, like... I mean, I think so many people try to fight biology, uh-huh. but it's it's pure science, mm. you know? And without really educating people about why your body's acting a certain way or why you're responding a certain way, you're you're keeping people in the dark from their own ability to recover. And when we, you know, this theory has been around for quite a while... Um, but when we tell people on our groups and individual mentoring, they're just like, oh my gosh, that's exactly why I'm doing X, Y, Z. Like, wow. and it just sort of is a light bulb wake up moment being like, I actually have to take care of myself better. Wow. Yeah. When you said adrenaline, what popped into my head and I don't want to get this wrong. So feel free to correct me. was like, 
it's almost like they're getting high on the fight or flight response. Yeah, yeah totally, definitely. And that can be people talk about adrenaline junkies yep. with whitewater rafting or whatever they want to do. Yeah, but like, can you get high on starving yourself yeah, because you're almost sure. dead and your body kicks into this? Totally, hundred percent. Wow. I mean, it's amazing how people of all different weights that are starving just feel like they can go and go and go and go. Uh-huh. And then, you know, we start feeding people again, and they just sort of, like, You You feel like you get hit by a bus, is what you say. Okay, how do you break through that if you get that lethargy, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm eating better, I want to feel better, this isn't working out for me, this isn't recovery. No, 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 that's a good sign. Really? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a good sign. Well, because you have just starved yourself for X amount of time, right? And now you're giving your body fuel and food. Of course, it's going to be using it. So it's it's using every single thing, which means that it's on overdrive and it's working hard. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're tired, it's actually you're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. right? If you have a ton of energy while you're refeeding, it's probably you're probably not eating enough. What is refeed like six, twelve months? Like what? Walk me walk me through the light at the end of the tunnel with refeed because people aren't always expecting refeed. Mm-hmm. They don't know it. It's not well defined. Um, it's in lay people, totally they don't different know about for it. everybody, yeah. but. You know, people of all different weights, low, normal, high, they have to go through a period of giving their body more nutrients than it needs or needed in like a normal weight um, to restore, to rebuild, to um, repair. And it's it's exhausting, like I said before, mentally, physically. Um, and just eating more than you think you need is hard for people to understand, right? Like... But I'm eating what the normal amount is. It's like, no, you're in deficit. You need an excess so that your body can get back up to where it needs to be. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's hard for people. It's like, but, you know, I'm considered in the overweight category. I shouldn't be needing this much food. And it's like, you have just hurt your body yeah. for 15 years. I'm sorry, but you need to you need to take care of your body. And right now you need to eat more than you think you did just to to get better mm-hmm. is that recovering from like the yo-yo mentality of it hasn't been stable mm-hmm. yeah so that, that's why even though maybe you feel like you're bigger you need stability yeah mm-hmm. more than you need to worry about counting calories right now mm-hmm. yeah unfortunately so we just had somebody on our group i think it was yesterday or the day before and she was here for three months doing great mm-hmm. she went back to her dietitian and oh, her diet <laughs> and uh her dietitian you know was like okay you know, how much you're eating? What are you doing? And she goes, oh, you know, you can cut out a couple of little snacks. You don't need to be eating you that much. You don't need to be eating that much. Is there a way to bring all these people together <laughs> and have like a holistic, I'm being serious though, and like have a holistic approach? Can you say, hey, you know, Miss Dietitian, I want you to meet uh, Shira from Living Proof. And right now she's in charge of me not dying. And I want you to listen to her before you give me advice. Is mm-hmm. that, do you take those kind of consults? I mean, I mean we that's try. What, that's what we're trying to do. You reach out and people we are try. like, no, I've been doing this yeah, 15 years. Right. I have a degree. Yeah. I know. People think that just because they're educated, they specialize in eating disorders. That means nothing. They if don't. you don't experience it. What, what kind of education are they books. getting? Books. Maybe like working with clients, like working even in a treatment center. I mean, I have, um, I know somebody who just got out of school um, to become a dietitian. No experience with eating disorders. Now she's a, has a job at the Emily program, and I'm like <laughs> Not watching that we're her do this. Names. I know. I'm like watching <laughs> her do this, and I'm like, and you're claiming yourself you're an eating disorder trained dietitian, and I'm like, okay, just because you're labeled under the Emily program, that doesn't make you an expert in dietetics. Like it doesn't make you an expert in eating disorders. It doesn't make you an expert in knowing exactly how to knowing, help somebody. Yeah. Recover. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. 
yeah, that, that's a tricky thing. I don't want to step in a minefield of tearing down any <laughs> clinic by name, but at the same time, like, um, you know, we do have to talk about the fact that the education piece is missing. Yeah. Yeah. And experience. I think that's why we are so passionate about this because like we have experience, we understand. Mm-hmm. People can't put anything past me. No. They I cannot there. sneak one past no. me. No. No. I've got <laughs> eyes all around my head. I have never met somebody who is so like <laughs> cat like reflexes in every single aspect. And I'm just like um, I'm like starting to learn your ways. People who've been through it can see it. Yeah. When Cal got yes. sick towards her last few months, I lost my appetite and uh, couldn't couldn't fool it fool her at all. I'd be like, "Oh, I ate a few hours ago," and she's mm-hmm. like, "No, I don't think I you know. did." And she's like, "I couldn't fool her on anything," I but know. I like didn't want a single bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last couple months was just like obviously really rough, but um, yeah, it's um, it's tricky because you are dealing with this ensemble of care providers, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and yet you're dealing with um, the most lethal mental disorder, and it's so insidious and so sneaky Mm -hmm. that if they know that they can go to this other person who's going to tell them Mm -hmm. to restrict, and that's been their happy place, Mm -hmm. they're going to become dysfunctional. Totally. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, people will seek out what they want to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. Big time on the upper and lower oh, end of the weight sure. scale. You know, totally. Lots and lots of people want to sure. pay someone to tell them what that's, they want to hear. And that's what keeps people stuck. Sick. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a pretty straight shooter, very honest. Like, I'm, you know, I say to people before they start working with me, I'm like, hey, this is my personality. I'm going to tell you as it is. I want to help you get better. If that's not your agenda, it's probably not a good idea. And, you know, I think I've had like two out of like hundreds that have been like, yeah, I really need somebody that's going to coddle me. And I was like, okay, good luck. Goodbye. And for (laughs) those who don't know, uh, at Living Proof, like you're more interested in helping people than how much money you can make off of them. Oh, God, yeah. Talk a little bit about the sliding scale and the finance piece and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just for a reference for people that don't know about treatment, you know, we're talking around $2,000 a day. Yeah, for treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're charging. Not here. No, oh no! No way. For traditional treatment, like inpatient, <laughs> inpatient yeah. residential. Yeah. Um. Right now, our daily rate is one hundred and twenty-five. Um. We have had. We've never turned anyone away. We've mm-hmm. given scholarships. We've given sliding scales. Um. You know. Yeah. We hopefully one day when we get a grant or we get um a backer yeah. that we won't have to charge. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll be all donation. Have you yeah. reached out to the corporate world like um? you know, Dove or any of the huge beauty brands or anything like that, you got to think one of them is going to jump on eating disorders one of these days I and hope so. get you a fat check. That's, we, we're, we're, we have been trying. I know. We just haven't hit the right person yet. So if anyone has any connections. <laughs> this is just, I just want to say, like, this is so needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, treatment centers operate for a specific reason. They keep people alive, mm-hmm. but they do not help somebody get into recovery. And we are really finding a way to help people turn their lives around that mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not out there. Yeah. So. so I don't think a lot of people are going to understand the difference between saving a life and actually recovering. So can you talk about the re- revolving door piece? I don't know if you've been through it, Tasha, or oh, not. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the re- revolving door? Yeah. What's the difference between surviving and living? Yeah. I mean, just as Shira, like I was in and out of the doors of treatment for years and Um, you know, the revolving door, like the first time I went into treatment, it was like, I hate to say, but like I, it was coddling and like, it was very just focused on like, you know, we're going to get you refed and then get you out to the real world. We're not going to teach you how to cope with your emotions. We're not going to try to help you understand where your eating disorder is coming from. And, you know, with that, like it also created a place of like, 
you know, safety and like, you know, a break from the world. And I think for me, it, it, that swallowed me whole. And I was like, you know what? I can come here and like, I can be away from the world. It can give me a break and blah, blah, blah. And I think part of that was what kept me kind of coming back was it's like, I was, you know, getting refed and whatever for a few weeks, a couple of months, but then I wasn't actually, you know, I didn't put in the work to do all the mental stuff. Were you making the decisions when you said you were getting refed? Was it being handed to you or were you making right. the yes. choices? It was being handed to me. Handed That's to me and mental. forced. You know, yep. the, you know what the other problem is? Huh. Is if you say you're hungry, they say they don't, you can't have any more food. It's so, not part of your meal plan. It's not part of your meal plan. So if you wake up at, oh, you know, right. you go to bed at 11 o'clock and you're hungry, they say you can wait till the morning. Yeah. And the other thing is, is they take away food if they think you're eating too much. Yes. They're like, oh, they yep. took away your snack. Yeah, I remember my weight like skyrocketed in a couple of days, and they were like, oh. they sat and pulled me in before breakfast one day, um, and they were like, you know, your weight is going up a little too quick. We're gonna have to take out morning snack. I cried for I think forty eight hours, and then they came to me and they were like, you know what? I see how much we don't want to make you feel like you're you you're a bad person or anything like that. So I see how much this is affecting you. We're gonna add in morning snack, and I'm like, well, now I don't want to eat it. That's weird because I thought they're not supposed to obsess over the food. You're not supposed to think about it all day long and have it be your only thought. So if their answer to everything is more food or less food, aren't that they teaching is, you to obsess on it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There were so many times I was so hungry, <clears throat> so hungry. And they were just like, well, you can wait till the next, you know, meal or snack. And mm-hmm. that doesn't teach anybody to listen to their body. Mm-mm. Or that they can trust themselves. Exactly. I had, um, was it, it might've been, I'm trying to remember if it was you. I've interviewed a bunch of people. We've got like 70 episodes up, but there was someone we were talking to who was like, you go to eating disorder treatment and they teach you. They treat you like an addict. Don't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're, look what you've done to your life. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What a shambles you've made of your life. Look at yourself. And then to shove you out into the world. Good luck. Peace out. It's like, wait, you just told me I can't believe in myself, mm-hmm. that I make horrible decisions, that I'm half dead because of me. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to have confidence and self-respect and go yeah. out and, and, and live my best life with Oprah and everything. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> These are two conflicting messages. So are right. we teaching people that you're smart or are we teaching people you're a loser? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our the our whole philosophy here is that we have to build a life that you want for yourself, mm-hmm. and you don't know what that's going to look like in recovery. And I think so many people people are like so scared to just embrace the unknown mm-hmm. because they just want to have that say of what's going to happen. And your life in an eating disorder versus recovery is absolutely different, three hundred and sixty degree. You are not the same person, and I just think people are so afraid to just say, you know what. I need to figure out what this means for me, what this looks like for me. Um, you know, maybe what everybody else is doing is great, but it's not working for me. And mm-hmm. just finding that new path for life. Mm-hmm. If you speak up at a clinic like that, can you get an individual approach or is it just really, really hard to be seen as like, hey, my my ED presents differently than ever the other people's, just deal with it. Yeah, no, they just, they're just like, yeah, well, we've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Or like, that's just your eating disorder or... Mm-hmm oh, yeah, that's just disordered or, you know, yeah. we do it like this way or trust us. Or... Yeah. They're like, I can't remember the term of it, but they like, if you voice something, they make you believe that, you know, it's not actually true. Um, do they say that's just your self-talk? That's the part of you you have to yeah, ignore? Yeah, like that's the eating disorder or like, you know, yeah. just little comments like that that I'm like, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> I just think that the, one of the big problems is, is just there's just so many people that need help. Yeah. You know, how do you help that amount of people 
with limited resources. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get it. You're trying to save people's lives. But at the same time, and I think that's where, especially parents of newly diagnosed teenagers don't understand, is they put so much um, hope in these treatment centers, Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, I'm going to send my kid there. They're going to get better. They're going to come out. They're going to be fully recovered. And that is so just the beginning. Uh Really? Yes. Yes. I think a lot of parents are terrified to have their kid come home, you know, even after treatment because, or like when they find out their child is diagnosed, they're terrified because they're like, we don't know how to do this. Yeah. So we're going to send them to a treatment center that does know how to do this. And then we're just going to think they're going to come home and they're going to be fine. Yeah. Are the parents getting educated by the treatment facilities? Almost none. Because I thought they're supposed to have like friends and family training. Yeah. They do, but very, very minimal. I mean, even at Melrose, I remember they had friends and family day. I think it was twice a month. And even for an hour. And I remember, I think I had a friend come with me and I remember she left and she's like, you know, I feel absolutely uneducated. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it was no, just not enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's and there's probably a huge room full of people and yes. not everyone wants to speak out or ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that brings back the resources piece. Do you have like a section on your website that has some links that you'd want people ch- to check out? Yeah, we do. Walk um, me through the, the kind of ecosystem of resources here. Yeah. Well, we've got the national, you know, uh, resources. We've got, um, you know, state resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for parents, my go-to is FEAST, mm-hmm. F-E-A-S-T, and their periods between each of them stands for something. It is. It is the most comprehensive, wonderful resource for parents led by parents who have been through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a lot like what we do here, mentoring other parents. They don't have, you know, a place for people to go, but it's um, online. There's a lot of blog posts. There's trainings. There's mm-hmm. a helpline. Um, that's always my go-to for parents or spouses or family or friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of um, people struggling with eating disorders, I feel like there are limited resources out there that are effective. Yes. <laughs> Um, I mean, of course, we always use our own resources as our support groups and, um, you know, mentoring. You know, we try to, we've tried to, we have tried to implement, you know, all the resources that we feel like are beneficial in the eating disorder world. Um, I think that in terms of like, you know, if other issues arise, like if OCD seems to be more of a issue, like we have connections with like Rogers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing if there's other issues that maybe be might be higher than the eating disorder um you know working with other places to see if they can you know be another additional resource Mm -hmm. very good to know um we talked a little bit about um the trauma piece and, and the guilt piece of you know everything's not always an individual experience there's people who deal with things and then they have a guilt of like like how did i let that happen to this other person and why do i deserve to be better um, can you talk a little bit about like kind of recovery and self-worth and how you need some degree of self-worth to even pursue recovery and kind of, how do you take that first step if someone doesn't even think they deserve to get better? Mm-hmm. Well, I always say, is there anybody in your life that you trust? And what do they say about you? Mm-hmm. Right. If you can't believe in yourself, do you believe somebody else? And, um, and I know in my own experience, that was the one thing that got me through was just believing in that somebody else saw me and um, that self-worth piece is so hard to teach and to imprint, but treating somebody with dignity and respect and, um, you know, even if they break your trust, trying again, right? Um, Giving them 
Uh, another chance. <laughs> Do that a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't look exhausted at all. <laughs> um, but the self-worth is, you know, finding things that really speak to you and knowing how to best use your day to feel good at the end of the day, that you're doing something for yourself, you're doing something for the world. Um, yeah. You know, you're putting finding your best things foot. that you love to do and that you're passionate about and... I think it goes a lot deeper than just like, oh, I love myself. Mm-hmm. Is that why taking a week off the podcast wasn't enough? <laughs> Probably. I think I need some time. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good to know. I think a lot of people out there um, are dealing with things they wouldn't want to share with people. Totally. Um, you know, a lot of the people who come on the podcast, uh, sometimes will say, I haven't talked about this with anyone. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, this is going out to the whole world. And like, no, I'm, I'm ready. It's going to kill me if I don't let it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was the same with Kel's album. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of it at all, mm-hmm. but it's at kellynicole.com, and it's on SoundCloud, Spotify, um, whatever Apple is these days, Apple Music, iTunes, whatever they call it. Um, I'm old. I don't love streaming. <laughs> no, it's funny. Speaking of me being old, I have a Spotify now. I got it a couple months ago. I'm with the kids now. Um, <laughs> but I keep forgetting I have all music. I'm like, what should I listen to? Mm-hmm. Well, I have this Sting album and this Sting album, but not the ones in between. I keep forgetting like I have you all can music. Access the yeah. whole world I cannot music. make room for this in my brain. It's too much. <laughs> I just can't understand it. Like yeah. for ten bucks a month, I bought every CD. Yeah, you bought them all. Well, then where are they? Yeah. <laughs> where's my tower? <laughs> but she used to. But Kel, yeah, where's my tower? Uh, we all got rid of those. Like, when did you get rid of yours? Do you still have CDs? In my car, underneath my seat, just yes. in case I'm like just on a road trip, trip and like there's no radio stations coming in. I, I bought an old truck, but I modernized the dash, so it has a screen instead of a CD slot and everything. Okay. I feel really naked. Like, I still have CDs <laughs> in the glove box, and I won't throw them out, because, like, I, just, I just need those. I know. Uh, anyway, she used to say, like, if I don't... I have to let this out before it kills me, and that's why I have to make this album. Mm-hmm. So for people out there who feel like, you know, it's not the right time in my career, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't deserve to get better, I'm not that bad yet, maybe someone else is worse than me, that's why we don't talk about pounds on this show, because mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel like, well, this person is X pounds, um, mm-hmm. but I'm X plus 15, so maybe I don't deserve help until mm-hmm. I get that low, mm-hmm. or that high, or wherever you are with your problems. Um, um, do you have just like any kind of final comments to people who feel like, for whatever reason or excuse, I don't deserve help yet, mm-hmm. or this isn't the right time for me to recover? What's the right time to be healthy? Mm-hmm. Right there's, now. There's never a right time. I think people wait until like, oh, I'm going to wait till I have this job or until I'm married or until I move. This then you're going to have this kids. This is the time. Then you're going to say, I'll wait till they're yeah. five. I'll no, I'll wait till they go to college. There's never a right time. You just yeah. have to go. You have to try it. Make it now. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Any final thoughts, you guys? I think I've I've uh, held you down for like an hour and over an hour and a half now. So I want to make sure you can go on with your day. But this has been such a valuable conversation for people. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for having us. Fun. You know, um, we're just really um, trying to listen to the public and trying to make resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the trainings are going to be huge. Yeah. We've got. Um, with the university, we're going to be talking to the RAs. Yep, we've for, got two of them, Hamlin oh, cool. and U of M in Rochester. So before so school starts. Yep, and then uh, we're doing a dance studio, so we're going to do a presentation to the dancers. and So that's exciting. We're f- very excited to do that. So um, awesome. We're also going to be seen at a couple of walks over the la- next few months, too. So we'll be at the Pride, obviously, and then um, a couple mm-hmm. of other five, mental health 5Ks over the next few months. So Yeah, we'll be out and about. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very exciting. The website again is livingproofmn.org. Dot com. Dot com. Do you have dot org too? 
No. Just dot com. Dot com. Okay. Dot com. They are a 501c3 nonprofit. Give as generously as you can. And get on KellyNicoleFoundation.org and, and pick up the album. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate your support all the time. Peace out. Bye. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at KellyNicoleFoundation.org. Courage is strong. Amplified.